Welcome back to another episode of Talking Out Our Abs. It's been a very, very long time since we've actually properly done an episode of one of these, but, you know, there was technically a draft class that happened for the abs, so we figured we should take a look at their entire prospect pool and see where things are at. Joining me, as always, is Tiger Vixen. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Earl 06. (laughs) How you doing, Earl? Oh, what a night. <laughs> and, of course, Nathan Chapman. Nathan, how are you? Well, I'm finally back in the rink the past two days for Broncos camp, so happy to get hockey underway again. There you go. Actual hockey things slowly starting to happen, even if it is August. So, at least there's that. Uh, obviously, the Avs prospect pool. Let's just start with our overall feelings on it, right? Because it's clearly significantly weaker than the last time we properly looked at it. But are we still happy with some of the prospects? Hmm, that's a loaded <laughs> question. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I think there's good potential there. There's, there's just not a lot of amateur prospects. There's not a lot of younger prospects. Uh Many of the picks have been getting eaten up by getting traded for what the Avs need at the pro level. Um, and that's a sort of – that's a symptom of the phase the Avs are in as far as you know, being a Stanley Cup champion. So uh, you just take the good with the bad there, I guess. Yeah, there's not a lot of high upside guys. And the guys who do have upside, are there's some question marks on them that they have to kind of sort out in the next year or two. But – there are some promising ones. We'll just have to see if they pan out or not. Yeah, there's some interesting players. There are different types and are intriguing and worth watching for one reason or another. So there is still something there. It's just, as always, you wish that they could do a little bit better with some of these mid-round talents so you'd have a little bit more hope that they could push a couple of the, these guys through. I mean, yeah, obviously, development still a key point of failure, probably, in the Colorado Avalanche system. I don't think there's a whole lot of doubt about that, which we'll get into uh, when we start talking about it. No doubt about it. But uh, I, we're going off my prospect pyramid here. If you haven't seen it, uh, you can find it on the DNVR Sports YouTube. Maybe I'll throw it in the post, uh, depending on where you found this. But if you don't see it, you don't need it. We'll talk about all the prospects. Don't worry about it. We're starting at the bottom, the bottom tier of the Avalanche prospects, uh, starting with Nate Clearman. Um, I don't know if you guys have a ton to say about him, but yeah. It, I, Why? It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, he's been around so long. We pretty much said it all. It, um you know, they signed him and then he spent the year in the ECHL and it's just like, if you're going to do that, you should just let him be the captain his senior year and still could have signed him after that. It, it is still a little confusing. I guess there's always hope he can come to camp and show something different, but he's getting up there in age. So it's just not a whole lot to really hope for there. Yeah, they sent him down to Utah and didn't even get a call back for the playoffs or anything. Whatever they told him to work on, either he didn't or couldn't, which is disappointing, but it is what it is. He's the rare ELC guy who actually deserves to be in Utah. And that should make you question, like, 
it's you don't want NHL contracts in Utah unless they're goalies. That's a little different, but you, if that happens, you should question like where did we go wrong here? Why did this happen? And you know, but it is what it is. Sure, and look, kind of the reality on on guys like that. Pretty much impossible to see a path to the NHL for him at this point. So expectation is he'll play out this ELC. If they like him, maybe he'll stick around with an AHL deal, but I wouldn't expect anything more than that. No. Uh, All right. Next up, then, is we'll we'll move pretty quickly through these first couple because there's just not a ton to say. Uh, Shamil Smakov exists, is still a goaltender, still plays sometimes in Russia. So cool. Still big. Yeah. (laughs) Very big, but maybe all the back injuries have shrunk him a little bit. Who knows? But um, all I know is that he recently was cut from whatever VHL team he was on. He's played 30 games over the last three years. I just don't even see him really playing hockey for very much longer, much less like an abs prospect. I I guess there's always hope he ends up like Frensus and wins the KHL Vezina when he's like 28 and they can bring him back over. I just don't think he's going to make it that far, so... Yeah, he's not really a prospect to me. So, good luck. I'm not to even him. sure he's a hockey player anymore. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I don't even know where he's gonna play. If he's gonna play, we played like nine games last year. I have no idea why. I assume injuries, but who who knows? Who knows? It's definitely a weird situation. Um, it's not even fully clear. At times, there was starting to be a clock put on how long he could be an Avs prospect because he did come to North America for a little while, but now he's back in Russia. The Avs just get to own his rights forever, so we'll see. But Hello, Dennis Parshin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, he exists. Always a fun trivia fact that he was an Avs prospect, and that's kind of the end of that one. Uh, next up, Nikki Lieberman, the uh, officially now the last Notre Dame kid in the Avs organization. Um, it sounds like he's going back for his fifth year, his extra year of college eligibility because of the whole COVID skipped year. So he remains an avalanche prospect because of that. Um, but yeah, he's his junior, if you want to call it that, and senior year have been better at the NCAA level. but really hard to justify a contract at the levels that he's played. It does feel like he got passed over. Like we never got the answer of why Claremont and not him. And then it seemed like he didn't get offered this year. So they haven't done it by this point. They probably won't, but he is still going to be part of the system because he's still in school. I guess there's always a chance, but like, if you saw something in him, you would have signed him two years ago, and they didn't, so that's about it. I do see AHL upside with him, and think he's worth a Legion AHL deal, but yeah, at this point, better options out there probably for him than coming here, if he has options, I guess. It's it's a weird spot with the defense, right? Because the Avs defensive pool is actually like extremely thin, but we'll see. 
but I still like him as a player. I'm when you watch him, there's still things that you like about that, especially as he's gotten older, he's been more involved in the offense. Like he's a big part of that team. So considering some of the other guys they've given ALCs to, especially on the defensive side, it's a little weird why he got passed over, but it could also be certain things that he wanted. Who knows? Yeah, and, and look, of course, you never know what actual conversations went down behind the scenes. That's all speculation at best, so whatever. Um, and then the last one of the bottom tier is another, most likely just bar trivia, Taylor McCarr. Um, look, fun storyline, cool. He wasn't even in the starting lineup regularly for UMass, so that path is... Uh, absurdly long for him to even get in the LC. I probably personally bump him up a little bit. I, as a legacy kid, you you always got to think that there's he's always going to have a little bit of favor. I don't think they would just give him a contract because of who his brother is, but I think they'll keep their eyes on him longer. And he seems like a guy that was always going to take the full four years. So him not playing. His first year, even though he was a little bit older, it was a concern, but like UMass was also trying to defend their national title, and they didn't really have a lot of time for some of these freshmen they brought in. So I don't know. I I don't really think the ceiling is all that high. I just don't think it's really like over for him yet. I, I think they're going to think about him as much as maybe some of these other guys that we're going to talk about. Yeah, I think he definitely went to the wrong school. One should go into Colgate, right? No, but, you know, if he'd gone to, like, UConn maybe or UMass Lowell or or just, you know, one of the the second-tier schools in Hockey East. Where he could actually play. Where he could actually play, probably wouldn't fight with the coach as much, and just wouldn't have the pressure of being Kale McCarr's brother. Um, you know, I think he chilled out a, a little better. Um, he just played so little. You really, you know, you couldn't glean a lot from his games. He showed flashes of things you, you'd like to see. Um, you know, he, he does move like his brother in certain ways, and although definitely not as gracefully. But well, it's uh, weird because there, there could be a pro player there somewhere. You're just like, I'm not sure this is the path he should be yeah. on to, to get there. I always kind of got the vibe that Kale was thrilled that he was drafted, but I think he kind of wished that he had his own organization. That he didn't really like necessarily that association as him as a prospect in the in the same system. Um, I remember that Carvel gave Kale a little bit of tough love. Now, obviously, on a different level because they knew that Kale was had star talent, but. That first year when he was at UMass, it was frustrating, like his usage, and sometimes he was getting tough love. So I think maybe Taylor got a little bit of that. Like I said, obviously on a different scale, like his ceiling there probably is still bottom six. But I don't know. When you see him, you like Girl said, you see things that he does like Kale. The genetics are there. They kind of move and skate the same way. Uh, he does have a hard shot, just obviously I think the big, big, big difference is skill level. And that's probably why he deserves to be 
down here at the bottom of the list, but I don't think he's completely without chance, especially with some of the other guys we're going to talk about. Yeah. I mean, if he was contract year, we could call him up for a game to say, hey, resign with us. We'll give your brother some NHL games. <laughs> it's, I mean, he had one goal in 17 games this year. And and I get it. He's playing like six minutes a night on the bottom line. but He scored it twice in the same game. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> They took his goal away, and then he scored another one. But I, I, there's a difference to me between tough love and a guy not even in the starting lineup for half your games. So yeah, and it, the truth will definitely come out this year. Like if he's not a regular, then they, there's a huge, huge problem. Because sure. freshman years are kind of like rookie first year pros. It's generally tough to get in the lineup unless you're the top tier kids. I mean. I <laughs> I don't know. Most NHL drafted players get in the lineup. But, you know, it, again, there's not like there's a ton of expectations on, on any of these kids down at the bottom here. So it is what it is. Uh, moving on to the next tier. Uh, this one, I, I maybe there's a little bit more hope for. And it also includes both kids from this year's draft class. So we can get into that a little bit, starting with Chris Romain. He's he the is... new Clareman. <laughs> it's going to be the same path. At least he's not going back to high school this year, hopefully. Um, he's definitely going to the raw. USHL. Yeah, definitely has a long way to go. I, I thought at least in the scrimmage that I watched at rookie camp, they had him paired with Barron, so they wanted to see something there. And I think he held up well enough in it, in that kind of look they were giving him. Like he, you could see the tools, sort of a Taze type player. That's obviously like the ultimate ceiling, but a guy that could be pretty good at everything maybe not great at anything but can contribute in a lot of different areas if it works out we're it's going to take a long time for us to see what that nhl potential is but for where they drafted him you know this is the kind of kid they always like to get in like the sixth round so it seemed to work as far as a pick anyway yeah, so I think he's a good skater. Obviously, his his size is pretty good for. I know he's listed at six feet, but at least playing against the high school competition, his size he looked bigger than a lot of those kids. Um, but it, one, it's almost impossible to take anything from the competition he's played against, and two, his shot is not very good. <clears throat> Or his puck skills, kind of, really, from what I saw. Yeah, I, yeah. again, I mean, he's going to go to the USHL next year. That'll be the first step of, of actual quality younger competition. And then after that, he's scheduled to go to Providence. So you're really two years away from even seeing what this kid is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, pretty my, much. My thoughts on this kid is, like, I'm not even thinking about him until he gets to Providence and you know, then we'll see against hockey's competition what he looks like. And well, if he has a good year in the USHL, it would be nice. But well, Cam Morrison had a good year in the USHL. <laughs> Don't get me started on Cam Morrison. 
Well, they didn't draft Romain at 40th overall either. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I think the uh, the chances of the salad pairing are probably pretty low. <laughs> you you never know. righty, too. Yeah, <laughs> might not happen. <laughs> uh, Maybe in a preseason game. If yeah, even if they sign him to an ELC, that that'd probably be a big win. But way I mean, too early to know if that would ever be possible. Can he even play preseason games? I don't think so. In like four yeah. or five years. Yeah. I would say no, but him going to the USHL makes you kind of wonder. Like, could could he come for camp? Probably not. I doubt it. No, the tarnish his eligibility. Yeah. Uh, the other. Prospect from this year's draft, the seventh rounder in Ivan Gigalov. Uh, goaltender out of the queue with not the best numbers, but also it's a goaltender in Canadian juniors, so who the hell knows? He's big and athletic, but his structure to his game needs a lot of work. It was interesting that they drafted him, obviously, with the very last pick in the draft, and he was there. I always... We'll say that was pretty cool. Um, it is interesting because now he's going to play in the OHL. His team in the queue relinquished his rights. And it wasn't really that they didn't want him back. It's just it's tough with imports and goalies and decisions have to be made. But he's going to play in Kingston. So we'll see how that goes. But since he was drafted out of the CHL, they only have two years of his rights, and it does seem like he might have some talent, but a long way to go to refine the technical aspects of his game. So they're going to have to make a decision pretty quick. He's also a re-entry. It was a second year eligible. Yeah, so he's a little bit older, which I get it does help, um, especially goalies a little bit older. It is funny, he was the number two ranked North American goalie for the draft, which it was a pretty weak goalie class it's just um as we found out in world juniors so <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of interesting little aspects of this story he was not at uh, rookie camp or development camp but maybe he can be at rookie camp I, I think in one interview he gave it was sort of like a last minute visa thing because the development camp was right after the draft and he should be able to come this fall, but we'll see. So it would be nice to see him in person and against at least some of our other younger goalies. Yeah, I mean, he's actually more interesting to me than Romain just because, I mean, Romain is so far off in the future, you really just don't even need to think about it, whereas Zhigalov is a decision they pretty much have to make this summer. Yeah, that's the um, big they, problem, right, with goalies from Canadian juniors is you have to make right. that decision so quickly. And he's over age, or, you know, he's second time through the draft, so, you know, they'll probably have to turn him pro this summer, maybe with just an AHL deal, but hold on to the rights for another year kind of thing. Um, so I think when we get a look at him in rookie camp and just sort of see how he interacts with the goalie coaches and, you know, see if you can see any kind of, Oh, improvement or gleaning the the ab style from the staff over the couple of weeks. Um, you know that that might be a good indicator 
if this is if this is going to be viable by the end of the year. So, quick decision so, yeah. will have to be made for sure. Someone to keep an eye on, at least. All right. Next up in the tier, we have the other goaltender, one in the system for sure, at least for the moment, in Trent Minor. Uh, look, I think he played as well as you could reasonably expect for him in his first full year in the ECHL. I just really don't see how he moves vertically up the Av system right now. Yeah, I mean, that's my problem with Minor is what can he do to stand out as you know the fifth goalie right now? Uh, it's tough because I, I do think he's got some talent. I do think he can play at the AHL level if need be and, and, and be successful. But, you know, what is it going to take for him to sort of take an, a, a next step and be able to, to get a starting job in the AHL, at, you know, one or two years down the road? And I like Miner more than most, I think. He has had flashes, especially in the AHL, like, and difference-making flashes. Like, I remember when he came in when he was just there because the WHL wasn't playing. And he actually got, wasn't even supposed to play. And he got in a game and basically, like, saved their season. And so maybe that's why I always think about him in a little bit higher regard than maybe is the common opinion. So I do think that he does have some talent. Like at times he looked better than Annan and and these young goalies are inconsistent (laughs) and have ups and downs. And I think him moving around a lot last year didn't really help him, but I think he had like the most shutouts in the ECHL. So there were good things happening with him, but like Bruto said, if it's, going to be a task for them to get Annan as an NHL goalie. It's like, what are they going to have to do to get him there? But as far as like the player and the talent, I still like him and I root for him. And I'm always happy to see when he's in the AHL. So I guess we'll see. He's kind of like the Itokalio to the Pickard where Annan's the Pickard. It's just there's he's going to be blocked by Annan for so long that it's going to be a long path for him. Yeah, it, and in more, the more immediate, the Avs have pretty clearly made their decision re re-signing Jonas Johansson for the fifth time. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's going to be hard for Miner to even find AHL time without injuries and the like. So, I guess as of right now, there really isn't like a vet goaltender at any level because usually you had like the Peyton Jones or whatever, like the minor league guys, but they're like bets. And I don't think. They what do you really consider Jojo? <laughs> well, okay. I'm not, t- obviously he is, but he's very clearly like the extra for the abs. I'm talking about more of like the vet for the AHL. So I think that's Jojo. <laughs> <laughs> well, they like they gave Annan in a lot of games, so and they're going to again sense. after the break. Sure it wouldn't make sense if they didn't. So, just what I'm saying is there isn't like this AHL ECHL vet. So if they're kind of relying on more of the younger goalies, because now we have maybe like you're saying more like a Miska. 
Right, or a Peyton Jones, or yeah. Joe Canada, you know, that oh, Joe. Fun of. fact: Joe Canada's cousin was uh, Chris <laughs> Romaine's coach at Milton. Okay, that is a fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe you pulled that one out. Um, but this might be where we should mention he's not Abs property. He's just on an AHL deal, so we don't consider him a prospect. But the goaltender, Lucas Parikh, who um, the Avs signed to an AHL deal, usually you wouldn't even think about it. But he was a third-round pick in 2019 of the Kings. And as recently as like this spring, thought of as their number one goalie prospect, or at least like a 1A, 1B, I think with Ingham now. So... It's a little weird that the Avs then just signed him. If it was about finding somewhere for him to play, the Kings would just sign him and then assign him to a team. Um, so the fact that like the Avs kind of control his destiny now at this point is a little interesting that the Kings do still have one more year of his rights, but teams usually don't meddle with each other's prospects. Like there isn't like predatory signings. So the fact that the Avs were able to sign to the AHL deal kind of means they let him go. So he adds another little wrinkle because he has the talent level of someone that could slot in right behind Annan. So like everything, we'll see how this season goes. Yeah, I think Parikh is a pretty interesting signing for I mean, the Eagles, but um, really the Avs because he's 21. He's you know the same age as Minor. Um, so he, I mean, he could slot into the prospect pool if LA doesn't want him anymore at the end of the year and the Avs do, um, you know, the Avs really don't have a lot of goalies. It's not as dire as the defenseman situation, but you know, they could really use, you know, more of the, the younger cadre because they just didn't draft goalies for so long. Uh, you know, between minor draft picks, <laughs> right? Uh, between minor and, and Jigalov, they didn't draft anyone. So it's like you know, you, you have these big gaps, and it's just you, you really need to fill those with some talent uh, if you ever want to try and develop some of your own goaltenders. Well, it's been a while since they've done that, so it has. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I again, it's, it's another guy that it's like, well, we'll see in a couple of years where things are at, right? In the more immediate, they have to work for an ELC or an AHL deal or, or whatever's next for them, but it's really hard to see either of those goaltenders in the NHL in the next couple of years. For sure, and it's definitely like the priority. Yeah. And we do have one more guy in the fifth tier here, which, like, I think there's a really strong argument that he deserves to be third tier, even, uh, because I put Nikolai Kovalenko down here, uh, strictly mm. because he turns 23 in a couple of months, and he's still not in North America. Uh, and look, if he comes over to North America, he's one of the top prospects in the system. But you're at that point now where it's hard to rank him until he gets here and he may never get to North America. 
Yeah, that's where I'm at. I mean, I, I like him as a prospect. I like him as a player. I, I think, honestly, the best thing for him is to keep playing in the KHL and then sort of hit that age 25, which seems to be the ass cut off for, for what they want at the NHL level. Um, and if, you know, if he can get a, an NHL contract at that point and you know, basically go right into the NHL, great. If not, we'll never see him again. So not really worth thinking about. Yeah, I held out hope up until this point because everything he said, like, um, with someone we'll talk about, Jaravliov, like, we never heard of anything. If he had even any interest at all, nothing. And Kovalenko would say in interviews that if he wanted to follow in his dad's footsteps to the NHL, even as soon as last summer, said he was considering the ELC. Uh, offer like he took it some time several weeks to think about it so there is interest there but when he got traded to his third team which I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name um, it makes you wonder what's going on because before he was at sort of like these um, bigger name franchises and you know how it goes in Russia it has a lot to do with money and why he decided to sign with this smaller market team that he got traded to and it was a two-year extension so I don't know how that works he already had one year left so does that mean it's three years or does the two-year extension kind of like overlap so it's only two years I have no idea Um, but at that point I just he's going to be 20 at least 25 that's not prospect age I was hoping in one more year so like next summer he would sign I think that would have been sort of like the last good time for it to happen and yeah right now maybe with the turmoil in russia that he's being forced to be loyal and this and that i think there are maybe a lot of political reasons for him and it's a shame because i think the way his game is the way he forechecks the way he drives the net would just be such a great fit for benar and the system the Avs like to play, and he does need refinement. Like he, he would need some polish and some help. But it's just, it would be a shame if we never got to see exactly what he could do in the NHL. And maybe we will someday. But it does seem like that's been delayed well past prospect age at this point. So I agree, it's best to just kind of not really think of him as like a top ten guy anymore, and just let it be. That's just kind of the reality. Again, if and when he does decide to sign an NHL deal, if it's with the Avs, he jumps right to the top of the list of the most interesting guys to look at. But it's really hard to predict that at this point. Uh, So that's the kind of the two bottom tiers. From here up, I think you start getting into significantly more interesting conversations about the Colorado Avalanche prospects. Uh, starting with my breakout prospect of the season, no doubt, in Matt Steinberg, who, you know, at, at one point in the year was the highest producing forward per game in the entire NCAA. Now, obviously, that fell off a little bit, but still finished the season at a point per game pace, which is uh, miles of difference than the kid he was the last couple of years. Yeah, it was definitely good for him that he had the breakout. Uh, that's what everybody wanted to see, just like some signs of hope. Um, my concern with him still is like the skill level, especially when he's going to play pro. Um, 
I don't mind at all if he gets an ELC like as a legacy av. I mean, come on, he was drafted at sixty third or whatever it was overall. If you're not thinking that you're giving those guys ELCs, like you just if you're thinking ahead, planning for the future, you pretty much figure you're going to give your third rounders, especially the first pick in the third round in ELC. So I always thought they were going to sign him one way or the other. So um, and I think it's going to be fairly soon. I think it probably will be this summer, um, which is fine. And we'll see what he could do at pro. I just, even with him showing some offense and ability at the college level, he's still like, fourth line center ceiling yeah, really ceiling is quite low he's a role player at the nhl level for sure yeah but he he's sort of more interesting than maybe a lot of the other bottom six types because he's a center he's fairly intelligent like if he works out he could be like a really good fourth line center like somebody that you would want to to play in that role it's just a matter of getting there Certainly. Yeah, can he produce enough in the AHL or get old enough in college that he can actually get the opportunity in the NHL to show what he can do in that role? Yeah. yeah. It's very, very well documented and will be documented in 45 seconds from now how <laughs> how poor the Avs are at developing NHL role players in their AHL system. So <laughs> that's a thing. <laughs> Um, for, for Steinberg specifically, I do think he does fit that role player extremely well, right? Like he's something the Av system doesn't have a lot of and a guy that will go out of his way to be actively physical. will get into people's faces. will do a little bit of that. will go to the dirty areas and isn't afraid to do a lot of that stuff. Again, and, the ceiling might hold him back, but we'll see. Yeah, he also has the size to play that role yeah, where like sure. an Ambrosio doesn't really have that size to fall back on yep well and but with the size you don't get a lot of durability because he yeah he has a problem staying healthy um i watched a couple of his games this year i I watched him at colgate yes um he went flying into the boards trying to check a guy missed and, and hurt himself and he was out for the rest of the game and it's just you know that's that was sort of Steenberg in a nutshell, um, you know, because he'd had a good game up till then and just, you know, couldn't stay healthy for the rest of it. Um, and, yeah, he does tend to chase the the hits and stuff where he does hit, tend to hit a little late or maybe not the best idea at the time and kind of stuff like that. And um, like you all said, the mentality is nice, but it's just – there is a place and time for it, not just for it being legal, but also self-preservation or effectiveness or whatever. But he is like a tall guy, but he's not really like big. So he is still a little bit lanky and lean for being tall. And I think that's what gets him into trouble, but he does hit pretty hard. So he doesn't make it to the AHL. The fans are going to love that for sure. Oh, they will. (laughs) I mean, availability (laughs) has been one of his biggest issues, right? Yeah. Yeah. Both of his college years, he's missed a significant amount of time. The COVID year, he broke his leg and basically didn't play hockey that year. But Um, neither did Cornell. 
<laughs> True. Uh, but like even at dev camp this year, he was injured and couldn't skate. You go back that story from when he was like 13, where like he almost died because of a shoulder injury, which is insane. Yeah, it's, it's definitely like bad luck stuff for sure. But um, he does put himself in the in the position where he gets beat up too. Yeah. So. If he can repeat the year that he had, I do think he probably gets an ELC. Um, but we'll see exactly how well everything holds up for him. Uh, so, speaking of that developing depth conversation, the next guy on my list is Shane Bowers. So, oh boy, <laughs> it look look. If Shane Bowers was in another organization he probably wouldn't be a prospect anymore. And if he was, he'd probably be near the top. I, I believe he's an NHL caliber player, but the abs have pretty much entirely bungled his development from start to finish. Yeah. It's, it's disappointing. I think that I, I, there's, there's a lot of things I don't like about his game. And I know Jackie says that everybody turns the puck over in the NHL, but, I do think with a guy that you want as a an on track to be in the NHL player that um, better puck decisions, better ability to hang on to the puck, better distribution of the puck. Um, you know, it just, I, I, I've seen the same thing from Bowers over his pro tenure, and it just doesn't, it, it hasn't gotten better. Um, I, I think the things he was really good at in college just haven't been able to show through and they haven't used him that way. Like he was very much a net front guy. Yeah. He didn't work the puck at all in the offensive zone. He didn't have to find space. He was just right in front of the net, either doing the screen, you know, a lot like Landis God who's basically doing the screen or retrieving the puck behind the net. And he was really good at that. And I, I don't know why that's not something they want him to do at the pro level, but, you know, it's forced him to to be more of a, you know, through the zone player, and you know, it's just it, it's it's not his game, and it, it's it just makes him look worse than he really is because he's a good skater, and he can score from you if you put him in the right situations. But that's just you know, that's not what's happening. It's initially I thought he looked good at pro, and he was confident. Where now I think he just has no confidence left, and he's kind of just maybe not dead inside, but. <laughs> going through the motions in a way. <laughs> you said wow. it, not me. <laughs> uh, it, it is like a chicken or the egg kind of thing, right? Like he's on the four, he, fourth line. And you say, well, he's on the fourth line because he's not playing well. And it's like, well, he's not going to play well because he's on the fourth line. Who are his line mates? Et cetera, et cetera. So it's just this feedback loop. It just keeps digging the hole deeper and deeper. And mm. Like you said, he looked good his first year, and it sort of declined from there. And I know some of it's injury. I think that's been played up a little bit too much. Like, everybody misses time. His second year, he did play almost all the available games. So it's sort of an excuse. It's The weird thing is, is he's had good camps. Bednar's liked him. So that's usually one of the excuses is like, oh, he never had a good camp, blah, blah, blah. And some guys just look better with NHL line mates, NHL structure. Like he's always been a smart guy. 
good defensively. It's not out of the realm of possibility that you put him in an NHL environment and he performs a lot better. He can be that the bottom six guy with a little bit of skill and a little bit of responsibility that you want. So it is very strange how this has all happened to a guy that was a first-round pick. It's... Yeah, I think the problem is twofold, and I think you even saw it in the four AHL playoff games he actually managed to be healthy and get into. He was nails. He was great for them. But in in the regular season, whatever it is, clearly something's not clicking. Sure, I get it. I get the injuries, but you don't go from a 27-point in 48 games AHL rookie to a 9-point guy in 37 games without some serious missteps along the way. Right, and that a lot of that was the fourth line, and he was getting healthy scratched in April before the playoffs, and that's why he only played in four games. It, he was healthy. Like, they just didn't play him until, I think it was Sherwood got suspended and Secura was hurt, so they kind of needed to start playing someone. And yeah, he's he scored a goal and an assist in that very first game, and it's just like, yeah, and for that- a guy that scored nine points all season and here he is scoring in the playoffs, it's strange right well, it's I, look if you believe the ahl is where you want to develop your prospects i don't care if they're bad the scratching prospects is unacceptable from a team's ahl system that's you might as well release him at that point there's no point in keeping that guy in the organization if you're not willing to play him and try and develop him into an nhl player and they resigned well, him. <laughs> <laughs> and a third-year pro, too. Like, that's always the excuse when they're first-year pros that they're going to get scratched, they're going to get sent to the ECHL. But when you're a third-year pro, at the end of your year, you have already 100-plus AHL games under your belt. And like you said, Rudo, and then you're scratching the guy. It's not development. So, yeah, I don't know where he goes from here. Like, I was hoping that he could get maybe just a fresh start somewhere else. I mean, his his deal is so cheap. It's $100,000 at the AHL level. That's probably what they pay these guys on AHL contract. Like, from the Avs perspective, just to have a guy that has some ability to hang around is probably worth it to them at that price point. But he's going to get waived. Nobody's going to take him. And then he's essentially not even going to be a prospect anymore. Like, where does he even go from here? Hopefully up. <laughs> but how? And it's, uh, find a snowstorm and ride a bike through it. And then the try not to get hurt right off the bat. Then, you know, then you're on par with the rest of the team for the, the season. And, <clears throat> like the problem here is even if you're a believer that it's like, oh, well, Shane Powers just didn't have it. Sure. Okay. Whatever. You can chalk it up to that. And you can say they just did a, a poor job of scouting a quality player. Even if you believe that the last role player internally developed by the avalanche, like proper role player, because even JT Comfort plays middle six, right? The last proper role player was drafted by them in like 2007. <laughs> like, it's yeah. been so long. <laughs> and then I know the argument would be, well, okay, they developed Logan O'Connor, and it's like... They didn't really. I think they did. But I mean, it, but that's, he was I, much no, older when he started. The, 
But the point is, Logan O'Connor was not a role player in the AHL. Logan O'Connor was producing as like a first line player in the AHL, and he became a role player at the NHL because he's just good enough to do that. That's what he is. Right. Yeah, and I, I think there's a few things too. One is, you're right, he got that role in the AHL because of his age and because his father is very close to Craig Billington. So you get that opportunity. Now, yes. He wasn't he out of place there. It's not like they just put him yeah. there and he sucked, you know? I mean, it's like, yeah, that's where he Sure, belonged. but they were willing to give him that look. Like, when he signed, everyone thought he was just going to go to the ECHL. And they had him at camp with a real number. They started him in the AHL, top line. He, and then that's when he cleaned up all those shorthanded points with Agazino. And and true, he's the one that went out on the ice and he did it, and good for him. But like, there, he is not a more special talent than a bunch of these guys that have come through the system. Like, role AJ players are more all, skilled than him. Yeah, like role players, it, it's not about finding the guy. Maybe finding a top six talent is about more about uh, talent evaluation and and making the right choice and this and that like role players. Yes. They have to bring something to the table, but then you also just have to use them. Well, again, the ads systematically put way too much emphasis on them being highly productive players in the AHL. It's why they give all these opportunities to non-prospects and vets like Jason Magna because they're great at the AHL level. And then they throw them into the NHL at a role where they're not going to score. They're not going to, they can't even play the way they played at the top of an AHL lineup. And of course it doesn't work very well because they have no idea how to play that way. It's, and that's where they've struggled to develop players like Bowers who in your system, you want him to be a bottom six center who PKs for you, does good defensive work and you get some offense out of him. And instead they've completely buried him in the organization and don't give him any opportunity. Well, it's they, also... I mean, over his three years, they've tried him in every role. I mean, and it just, you know, has any of it worked? I mean, but like Bruno other said, than his rookie year, year when good. he was, like, fairly yeah. decent, um, you know, there's just been a lot of inconsistency and a lot of difficulties finding a role that he works with, finding people that play well with him. Um <clears throat> So I, I, I mean, I get a little bit of the frustration on the Avs and, and Greg Cronin's side with that, but and, and again, know, like, I'm just wondering what what can he do better with Shane Bowers uh, and, to make sure he's not just free falling through the lineup. The, the thing is, like, I'm willing to live in a world where maybe Shane Bowers wasn't the guy. Maybe he wasn't good enough. The problem is he's the 15th guy on the list that has fallen into this category, and yeah. you're telling me all of those dudes. Or it's purely on the player. I'm not buying that. Right. That's where I'm at. Like I've never said personal responsibility, talent level, all that is like absolved. It's absolutely part of the equation, but also the development system is part of the equation. I think that's what we and I have been pounding the table about for years and years and years is you have to at least give equal weight to it. And there's just so many people that still believe like it's just about drafting and picking the right guys. And hey, you just didn't pick the right guy. And it's it's just so not that simple. And do like you, we say, do you think the ads actually want prospects to turn into role players? I, yes. Not on the day to day level, 
because they always want the older guy. But I think if I think they do, I, I I genuinely think they do. I just don't think they understand the path to developing role players. Yeah, they well don't know how to get them there. And they they understand. But, sorry, you look at the ads in the playoffs, and the first guys out of the lineup are the youngest ones. Um, you know, New Hook well, and, and O'Connor and, and Obeka Bell, and you're just looking at that like, I mean, this is yeah, sort are. of predetermined how this lineup is going to go. They're going to play the. 18 oldest skaters and that's you know that's kind of how it goes and obviously you know like a kale mccarr like you know he defies the age rubric byram like they play ryan murray but right but he's also like the talent level like (laughs) don't i mean don't fall for the old trick there again it's not like they're top putting six Jason bars, Magna. Top four defensemen are different. Yeah, it, it's not like they're putting Jason Magna in those lineups over the younger kids. It's they're right. putting players that are veterans and that understand how to play a bottom six role down there. And their problem is they're not teaching their prospects how to play a bottom six role in the NHL. Logan O'Connor managed it because he jumped in and said, I'll figure it out. I'll just skate as hard as I can and I'll figure it out. And that's where you get successful role players in the F system is the guys who can transition their game on a dime in the NHL level and go from being a top scorer at the AHL level into a grinder in the bottom six. And just not a lot of guys can turn their game around like that. You have to get them ready for that. Well, that's the big problem is, Whenever we talk about any AHL player, it's always about they don't score enough, they didn't produce, they didn't earn it, they didn't deserve a look, and it just none of them ever score. Like we've been, they don't get power play time. They play yeah, exactly that. That's it. Like the only guy that got consistent top six time and power play one time was Cout, and he scored more. Like surprise, surprise. It it's just it's like they're waiting for this great production out of these guys and it's never going to happen because they have all these AHL vets that get the power play time, get the top six time. And then they're just not good options to bring up to the NHL because I sure they're like six, seven year pros. I'm sure that they're very mature when they come up and they go out there and they four check like crazy for three games. And then when the energy dies down, you see that they're terrible defensively. They're not generating offense. They're not any better than these kids who I mean, they haven't yeah, got we, ready. We've had the conversation that anyone can do that role for five games for six minutes a night. Literally pick a player on the Eagles. Doesn't matter. Anyone can do that. Uh, anyway, I, I, we don't have to go too much deeper into the abs and their development problems, but I... They, the, the by far weakest point of it has always been developing role players. So, and uh, opportunity. Yeah, and I, I say at this point, they they just need to see what it looks like. If we're talking about Bauer specifically, if his good camps and if what Benner likes him has ever been worth anything, you just need to see what he looks like. I so I don't know. Maybe he can have another good preseason. Maybe they'll finally decide to give him a game to start the year. I don't know, but. I feel I, like that's his last hope because it's not going to come from the NHL. Yeah, I I fully expect that he'll play out the string this year and be on a different team. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, next guy on the list, the most interesting one of the offseason, at least, I guess, and, and actually coming over from Russia, Danilo Zaravlyov did sign with the Avs, is going to start in the AHL this year as a, as a defenseman, and we'll see honestly his game in russia had been trending kind of in the wrong direction but 
hey, he's under contract now. Let's see what it looks like in North America. Yeah, he went up my list big time just because he came over. Um, and, you know, in, in contrast to Kovalenko, it's making that step um, that kind of puts him there. I, I just don't, I don't yeah, know what to expect. To I mean, they've had so many problems with guys like Igor, you know, as Nights of Anglisky. I mean, are they going to be are they going to be able to deal with a, a player that's not um, fluent in English right off the bat, or, or has Zhiravlov, you know, been taking some English lessons? Is he taking that step? I mean, I think that's important for the player to to really get into it because I guess Igor really wasn't into it. He was not. <laughs> <laughs> He had his book with him, but he never read it. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think if if he can communicate with the coaching staff, and I think Budai might speak Russian. I know there are players that can help him a little bit, but I, I think it's more important to have at least one of the coaching staff that can communicate with him. Be better, you know. Maltsev should to... have gotten an extra hundred k for being the Russian, sure. right? Um. um but you know, then then they have the task of of taking what his game was in the KHL and, and seeing if that's going to work over here. And I don't think that's anything any of us can can figure right now. I, I agreed. I will say traditionally, it's a lot lot tougher to get defensemen out of the K than off than forwards. So I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, full credit. General don't develop defensemen that well. Yep. Well, yeah, they they play a lot different. Um, yeah, full credit to him for coming. We still don't know anything about him. We have no idea just really his mentality or how much English he speaks. But, yeah, good for him for giving it a try coming over. I don't think he's going to be like, it better be NHL right away. I, I think he'll probably commit to the year. But if they give him no call-ups – it's not getting close. I don't. He still is established enough where he can go back to the KHL and have a. It's weird. He would be third pair, but then sometimes they'd play him more. But he was like a regular over there, especially after several years. Um, I, I think he just has to show progress this year. I, I mean, yeah. I think if you come over, you really have to have a, a little bit longer view than one year. Um. It, it is going to be very the, different. It's a different size rank. You're doing different coverages, a different system. Um, I guess it's what you're ready for because the, you know what the alternative is. You know you can go back home and play on the big club. And, I mean, you have to think that at least some of this I, is from maybe not wanting to be with a kid. So, well, not going to dive too far into this, but uh, the dollar is worth a lot more than a ruble right now. <laughs> Correct. But how much how many dollars is he getting being over here? It's uh seventy K, right? Seventy seventy five. Yeah. Yeah, plus plus the ninety two five bonus. <laughs> that's true. The big sign. Maybe bonus. that's enough for now. But um but yeah, like Rudo said about his game, it's interesting because he has definitely been developed in and Kazan is like a very defensive team. So he's been developed in a defensive way. And you could kind of see some of that in, in the rookie stuff. Like he's good at closing off guys along the wall, like very pro polish in that area. But I just don't know about the hockey sense, the the skill in that four on four game. Like he was 
bad in in the first. They only played two periods, so that's why I'm going to say the first half, the, the first period. Um, I just like nothing was working for him, and like the second period, I don't know if somebody said something to him or he just said, "I'm going to YOLO," because that second period he just went with his instincts. So I don't think he's necessarily all that skilled, but he seems to have that mentality where he could kind of like turn on Tyson Berry mode and try to make something happen, which is cool because you don't see that a lot in Russian defensemen. But we'll see how effective it is. He did score a breakaway goal in that game, which was after how bad he was before that. It was like, oh, okay, he pulled that out of the bag. But is he going to do that? very often in the AHL. We'll see. Well, so I, I he's going to need to, he's going to need to be able to recapture the puck and break it out. I mean, that's, if he can do that, then I don't think the scoring is going to be a big worry. He, if he ever makes the NHL, he'll be behind Byron assuming we keep one of Gerard or Taze. So he's going to be a 10 to 15 minute role guy. If he makes it. Like definitely third pair. Any Avs defensive prospect is hard capped at the third pair right now. Yeah. It's just the reality. He has a higher ceiling than that, but. But like that's his role. So if he just plays a steady Eddie, just get the puck up the ice. Don't have it go in your own net and you're, Play 10 to 15 minutes. That's all you need from him kind of thing. But yeah, but he does have that YOLO. And I think it's going to come out because not to say that I expect him to score much. Because like I said, I don't really think the skill level is all that high. But I think he's going to have YOLO moments. Which we'll see how effective that is. (laughs) The good news is if, if he can get over the language barrier, he is the only name on the Avs real defensive prospect list in pro hockey. So, <laughs> so yep. do we think they're going? They would call him up, even just for a few games, or does he have to look looks, pretty obviously. good in the AHL for that to happen? I, yeah, he'd have to look real good, and there'd have to be a lot of injuries, I think. <laughs> but it's not like they're call ups. I mean, what is it going to be, Middleton, England? Like after you get past McDonald, it does get a little nah, sketchy. They're good. Brad Hunt's getting games. <laughs> don't even well, okay. don't even trip. He's getting games. Okay, sure, him, because he hasn't even been in the AHL for like five years. But after him and McDonald, it's it's a little rough. <laughs> I mean, that's nine defensemen. I mean, if you're looking at yeah, Gerald right, exactly. defensemen, I, I think that's about as good as it gets. If the Avs need to go 10 deep, he's got a shot. Yeah. Um, all right. Anyway, on to the next one on the list. I will refrain from talking about this prospect. I'll let you guys talk about him. Uh, Alex Bocage. Oh. <laughs> hey, I actually like Bocage. I actually yep, wrote up good. his profile. I actually don't. <laughs> I, okay, maybe I'm the only one that likes him. I actually wrote up his profile in Mile High Hockey. You can go over there. It was posted just the other day. Um. I thought he had a good season. Like, I know he didn't score a lot, but I think he was trusted. Like, they scratched Bowers. They scratched Sampo in the playoffs. They didn't scratch him. I think they did once, but, um, you know, the only ones that played every of the prospects was, like, Foodie and Kaut. Like, he was – I think Cronin likes him, trusts him. I think he was actually 
fairly decent defensively. I mean, for a mm-hmm. first year pro, um, you obviously wish that he could have just showed his big skill, the shot and the goal scoring. But I think a lot of those things that we want prospects to work on, he actually did like to earn Con- Cronin's trust, I think was pretty big. And he had a good playoffs. He scored five points in eight games. So he was another guy that showed up when the playoffs started. And he's I mean, improving. I... His skating's improving. His defense is improving. Playmaking is kind of improving. But the big thing with him is finding his sh- space for a shot to show yeah. off more, which will be the yeah. big thing yeah. in the second year. It's it, Everyone has talked about how much his skating has improved, and it's gotten better. I still don't want to overrate it i think it's only like okay. it's not noticeable like i well, don't look average. at it and be like oh geez like and i don't watch it's him not timmons level bad. and and like that's great but he still doesn't have the agility to create space for himself and that's my big concern yeah, yeah. i think that's fair it's like when i when i watch bocage i'm just like you know when he was in the queue that was space that he had plenty of time in and now he's yeah. sitting there with two guys on him and he's never going to get a good shot Yep. Um, and I think he, you know, he produced a decent amount of shots for a rookie. Um, so it's like he, he's battling against that. I, I like his attitude with that. I, I do think his his skating has improved. I think he's better defensively than I thought he was going to be. But you know, that's not why you have him. You have him for that shot. You have him to score goals. And if he's not able to get into those areas, if he's not able to uh, freeze the goalie with that shot, and perhaps. Pass it across the roller road to somebody tap in on the backside. I mean, those are ways that he's going to really add to your club, and you know, like that's not happening. So, but, but you'd also like you don't expect that more. that much in the rookie year. So, yeah, like it, that's what I want to see this year from Bukov. For sure, and like he's got to bring it. But you also would like to see some better usage. Like you want to see him on the power play. Like, come on, Sherwood's not there anymore. Someone needs to unload a big shot on, and maybe not power play one, but if he can at least be a fixture on power play two, if he starts looking good, maybe move him up. But you have to put, if you want to see offense from these guys, you have to put them in these situations too. Like it's a give and take. I understand it. You, if you want more, the opportunity, you got to look good, but you also have to have a little bit of commitment with them. So here's, the thing, and I understand we just talked about the as development and why you want to see him on the power play. I understand it. But if you actually want to him to be an NHLer, you need to teach him how to penalty kill. Because that guy's a third line well, scorer yeah, best that's... for you. <laughs> that's true for all of them, right? And, and I think that... I, <clears throat> I think the abs picking up Charlotte is gonna help a lot too, because I think his game is gonna complement Bukaj's a lot. And I think if they put them together as the new French line and make it sort of a third line that you know is a <clears throat> has the offensive capability but has that you know the defense that they want to work on, that's gonna get Bocage in a place where the abs are gonna seriously consider looking at him. Yeah, it's it's just tough again with the way the Avs develop. The skills he needs to succeed may come at the cost of opportunity for him, and that's concerning. yeah, it's tough because I don't. Of all the guys we're going to talk about, you just would never bet that he's going to be the one that 
makes it the breaks through but I just don't think he had a throwaway season so I still have hope but it is a long big hill to climb okay uh next one if any of you have anything to say about I'll take it Andre Bujalski <laughs> Uh, he's just he's just a total mystery bag to me, right? He played three college games as an overage draftee, and then he had a season-ending injury. And so we just have no idea what he is still. I guess yeah. I'm a little surprised he's so much further away from Steinberg. I mean, and... they're in the same tier. Okay. All right. So uh, for me, they're fairly close. I would give Steinberg the edge just obviously he played and he had a good year at Yolski didn't play um it's hard to really say anything that we didn't say last summer because we haven't seen progression like you like the skating you like the shot i finally got to see him at development camp so those things stood out um unfortunately didn't get to play in the game which is when you really wanted to see you know those game type decision making and puck skills and all that and didn't get to see that so just hopefully he stays healthy, can have a full year at Vermont, and we'll see. So um, I, I still don't mind the tools, but it is also hard to think, like, gosh, he's a third rounder. Like, you really hope this guy gets an NHL deal because, I mean, third rounders. And I don't know. I, I don't think he's a guy that wants to, ever wanted to be in college for, like, four years. But when you miss a whole year – that just extends your timeline. So um, it really all depends on how he looks this year. And that's hard to say right now. I mean, yeah. part of the problem is extending his timeline at all because of his age, right? Actually, that probably helps with the abs, but yeah, uh, <laughs> if you say so. Um, I mean, I think Vermont was really happy to have him. I mean, it, it looked like they were excited to have a guy with his talents. Um, you know, they they were a bad team. Um, they're, you know, they're basically a rebuilding college team. They've got a you know they've got a good coach, a name brand coach now, and, and things like that, and, and a lot better recruiting. So uh, I think they're kind of poised to rise up in the in hockey East. So it, it, I think it might be a good place for him to ride for a while. Um, you know, obviously we he only played three games. I saw one of them. I mean, it's hard to glean much from that, but. You know, there there was things to like, um, and it's it's just not enough that I'm going to be able to compare even next year when I'm watching him. So it, it's sort of like, you know, this is going to be his rookie year, really. For me. My problem is going to be his style of play, right? Because when he's a 25-year-old, <laughs> being a power forward against a bunch of teenagers and 21-year-olds... Yeah, he's just a bigger, stronger dude against that league. Yeah, we just have no idea. Which he was when he was drafted out of the USHL. Right, same thing. (laughs) Yeah, we just don't know if he has any dimension to his game. We know that he has a lot of highlights from skating fast and shooting hard. He's like the poor man's ranta. Yeah, he just puts (laughs) his shoulder down and goes through the guy every time. (laughs) (laughs) He's a video game player. <laughs> I think it was like an interview or something I read when he first came over to to North America. He didn't come to the USHL to play college. Like he said that he came over because he wants a pro contract and so I don't 
maybe college, maybe there was none of that offered. So college was the next step. But in knowing that's why he came over, I think he'd be willing to to jump out of college if that opportunity presented itself. But this was before it happened. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think he needs at least two years and like he didn't get last year. So, you know, clock starts now. Yeah. Like, I don't think the Avs are going to sign him after this year, but it is something I said um, last summer after he was drafted, which just like, I think he's going to look for that pro deal. Like, I think, let's say him and Makar had the exact same season. I think Makar would be way more willing to do the whole college four-year thing, and Bielski would be like, yeah, I want to sign and play pro. But... They kind of did have the same season. <laughs> Not that different in the end. So, you know, maybe, maybe it isn't that All different. Right. So that's the fourth tier. Moving up to the third tier, you start to get into the genuinely interesting prospects in the app system here. Um, let's start with uh, the two interesting conversations i'll start that way first up in this tier we have sampo ranta uh obviously had the 10 games in the nhl which is a thing Uh, and then he went to the ahl and you steadily watched it all fall apart (laughs) and i liked sampo so much going into last year uh I, i will say that my enthusiasm has been tempered a little I still like the things I like about him, but as always, when you start playing pro and since he had his first year burned off and he came out after junior, like it just makes the timeline and the window a little smaller. Um, they yeah, signed they, Bowers. They'd re-sign him. I, okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't really care about who comes back for a hundred K and then gets waived. Like to me, you're not a prospect anymore. Once you hit waivers, like, Sure, there's always a chance. There, there's always some someone that defies all norms and does something weird. Cool, but once you get waived, you're not looked at as a prospect anymore. You're a minor leaguer. You're you're gonna have more opportunity somewhere else. So he really has that. He truly has this year. This is his last year of his ELC and waiver exemption. You hope he gets back on the on track like it was weird when they played him against vegas and then (laughs) sure they give him the 10 games which is so funny because it obviously was tied to new hook they wanted to give new hook his little pilgrimage to the ahl and come back and of course they were going to swap them they were never going to play both of them at the same time was their intention to just never play sampo again probably not there was after the 10 games. <laughs> well, I think they had hoped that he probably would have done more in the AHL, and they did kind of have him in more of that third line, maybe middle six role. He never got, like, top line, top power play. They always had him pegged as sort of a third liner, and you'd make the argument, well, that's what he's going to be in the NHL, so he needs to learn play that but then we have what we talked about that you're not producing you're not you know impressing people you're not making them say hey we need this guy in the nhl and that's always the problem what are these guys supposed to do are they supposed to play their role well 
or are they supposed to produce offense? And it's like they always get stuck in this catch-22. I think that happened to him a little bit. And then, yeah, I will say he could have played better, and then he got hurt. And that was kind of that. He did come back at the very end, but was he 100%? You know, they didn't really use him. They scratched him in the playoffs. They didn't even keep him as a black ace. Could that have possibly have been because maybe he just wasn't really 100% and there was no point in, in pushing it? I don't know. But you just – it wasn't good news when they didn't even keep him as a black ace, in my opinion. See, I thought he, I thought he was decent for a rookie pro season after he went down to the AHL for a while. Um, but then in sort of late January, early February, it looks like he – kind of started hitting a wall. And the then confidence he... was always so big for him. So when he loses confidence, it just, like, it I, I mean, I just, I, I think he was just playing a lot more than he was used to. And, and he has a, a high tempo style. It's tough to keep that up. Um, But by the time he broke his foot, you know, it's like he was obviously sliding. So <clears throat> I, I don't think that's sort of, I don't think it's something the abs are looking at is like, oh, you know, the skill was bad or, or whatever. I mean, I, I do think he learned some things about how he needed to be a better player. And I think yeah. the role he was in down there, I think what Cronin had him playing, he, he had him playing, you know, basically a third line role down there, which is perfect for him. It um, didn't give him as much opportunity to score, obviously, but I, I just, I don't think that's what he needed. Um, it's, yeah, the path to success. Puck for, in the net, though. That, that's the tough thing. Well, so his path to success is you want his AHL career to follow exactly the way his college career went, right? Like, he gets there, the coaches go, oh, God, I have to get this guy to a level where I'm not afraid to literally put him out on the ice. <laughs> and once he, if once he gets there, then they can kind of take the reins off and let him do his offensive thing. And, that's the path to success. Obviously, there are people in the ABS organization that really, really like him. That's part of the reason he got the opportunity that he did. But I think the IQ questions are still very, very large right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at his shot production, it's not bad. Um, if you kind of extrapolate a little bit, like, you know, his shot attempts per hour are probably about what you'd want to see. Um, his shooting percentage was 10%. I mean, it's like, I think if he scored more, it would just look like an anomaly. So I, I think offensively he did well with the time he was given. Um, it just, it, it remains to see, be seen what kind of progress he made defensively and, and how much confidence that would give the coaching staff in the future. And I forgot where I saw it. Somebody pointed out, that every year that he's been at like a different level, he needed a year to adjust. Like first year in the USHL wasn't great. And then he took a big step. Same thing with college. So you hope that there's still a step to take from in the AHL. And it's right. tough. I mean, next year you of... want to see him in the same role. It's just, you want to see him able to, to drive play, to be the guy that's carrying play a little bit more in the, in the role. He was. And I, you know, and it, I would guess that's what they're going to do. So it's it's on him to you know to to follow through with that, and I think he can. 
And as far as the IQ stuff, like I will agree, it's it's never going to be the highest. But the ABS don't really value IQ in their forwards that much. Like there's plenty of guys in the league. There's plenty of guys that have played for the ABS that aren't the smartest players to begin with. So the comfort. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that in itself can be the hindrance. <laughs> oh, but he's gone. <laughs> yeah, they can work with these people, right? Like these are all people they committed to. They committed to working with and molding them into the system and somebody they could work with. And there should be enough there because Sampo does have great athletic gifts. Like you're not going to find a guy as big and fast and strong with a decent level of skill. Like there's should be enough there that you can find something that works in the NHL. It's just a matter of committing to it. So yeah, I mean, he should be a better Obey Kubel. You know, there's no reason why he can't be Obey Kubel. Right. Well, defensive game, but like Kubel didn't have enough defensive game. <laughs> Arrived in Colorado, like they eked out the smallest, tiny little bit of him, but still, obviously, he wasn't retained, so it wasn't enough. Uh, all right, so can, his uh, name's on the cup, though. So I mean, and we can uh, move on to the next one here. Uh, another another hot button one, I'm sure, for us in Martin Cout. Look. The, the good news to me is he's continued to improve every year at the AHL level. Personally, I really don't think there's anything left for him there and that he will be an NHLer. Like, I will die on the hill that Martin Cout is an NHL level player. I just don't know if it'll be with the abs. Yep, same for me. I know. I always try to think like I'm over it, but the, and then when I start thinking about it, it just, yeah, it frustrates me. Like, he is a guy they should be concerned about waving it. I know that everyone thinks their trash is valuable. It's the beginning of the year. All these other teams like their guys. But seriously, teams like Arizona and Chicago are not even going to have like 10 NHL forwards. He's a guy still on his ELC, one-year term. Won't even have arbitration rights on a qualifying offer. Former 16th overall pick that has played in the NHL, scored a goal, been good in the AHL, and you're not going to take that chance for free, give me a break. And he fits a bottom six role play style for most teams. And My argument against that is that any team that would be good enough to be able to take advantage of Martin Cal wouldn't need to take him. And the teams that you know, like Chicago and Arizona, they could just take him on a whim. Already have Martin Couts in their system. Do they? <laughs> I mean, every They're team is already playing the better ones. <clears throat> like, okay, they might have guys that that are younger that they want to see in the AHL that keep them there, or maybe keep them away from the disaster. But they're already playing anybody decent enough. Like. <laughs> The thing is, like, it just doesn't happen. Like, you look at it historically with Avs prospects, and they all do make it to the NHL, these guys, but they don't end up getting waiver claims. Like, I'm talking about, like, Malosh and Greer. Those guys ended up on teams where they eventually ended up in their rosters, but it was the year after where they said, ah, we'll just just get him when he's a free agent and deal with it then. 
but they weren't 16th overall. So That's true. And the other thing is is who works for Arizona. Alan Heppel is now their director of pro scouting. So he was a guy that really liked Cal when they drafted him. He obviously was the one that did it, but I know that he was very on board with selecting him, you know, and so Arizona. Why did he trade for Jost then? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the Avs didn't want anything from Arizona. Yeah, the way it's gone down, it feels like rule number one from Arizona was you don't get to take anyone from the Avs ever. <laughs> so that's my prediction anyway, is that of all these guys, like I think Maltsev and Bowers and everyone's going to clear. But if you're going to look at a freebie chance. It says Maltsev's going to get waived. Because he will. <laughs> I, I think Maltsev will get waived. I think Kout will get waived. I think both will clear. And Okay. I, think... I mean, it's not 100%. I'm not saying. I mean, the Avs have 10 returning forwards and then. What? Well, we still have like three more weeks. The mystery eh, we'll PTOs. <laughs> mystery PTOs. Waiver claims. Well, we're going to talk about one of those guys that's going to play in a little bit. <laughs> but uh, to count in his game specifically, there's things I've always liked about it. Maybe he doesn't fit the abs stylistically, and that's a shame because he is more cerebral and deliberate and. I just hope he gets a chance. He deserves a chance. Like you said, he's played four years in the AHL. He's improved. He did finally get, hey, first line and first power play opportunity. And that led to points. Like, crazy how that works out. And he, Kel- he deserves a chance. If the Avs aren't going to give it to him, I hope somebody else does. Kout's problem in getting in is the continued existence of Jason Magna, the fact that the Avs went out and got Anton Bleed. These guys that just get slotted in ahead of him. And maybe Lucas Sedlak, too. Oh, dude, if Sedlak's getting call-ups. <laughs> well, I thought the same thing, but then I ways. saw how much he was scoring in the KHL. I'm like, this guy's never scored more than a point every six games in whatever league he was in, and he goes to the KHL, and he's a point per game player. What's you know up? the KHL is voodoo stuff. Like I know, but serious. I mean, like, there's two times in this guy's career he's been a point per game player. Like the playoff run he had with the Monsters and Bednar, and in the KHL. And so, I'm how sure does that happen? I'm sure he will get games too, but like they will always have AHL vets, and and a lot of their there are old guys left, like Sherwood and Secura, and. But they just turn them over. They bring in new guys. And I get it. They like some vets at the HL level. And and to have these experienced call-ups. And that, that's just the way that they build their organization. So there will always be sort of that I, blockage in the middle. I understand that. And that's why I think Cout has to this point failed here. There are other organizations that understand they need to give those opportunities to prospects. So... I, I hope the best for Cout. I hope it works out in Colorado, but it would be the least surprising thing in the world to me if he moves on and finds success in another NHL organization. So if you don't really think that he's going to get claimed, you just think they're finally like give up and just trade him for something? I think they might trade him or just not qualify him. 
or he'll say, hey, please don't qualify me. This clearly isn't working, whatever. And then he'll go to some other organization and some other organization will see him play 10 AHL games for them and go, dude, this guy's good. But the problem is he's getting older and it's just the sooner that it happens for him, the better. Like the next year he's 23 and it's just. Pretty soon he's old enough to play for the abs. Right, like he's going to turn 23 in October and a whole nother year. Two more years, he can play for the abs. I I hear what you're saying, but like people have have made it work, right? Like other people from the Avalanche organization, you're seeing it happen with Nick Milosh right now. Yeah, and good for him. And, Um, and, And like you said, he doesn't have a first round pedigree, so... I do think people will value him. I don't know if it's enough to claim him on waivers, but certainly to give him a second opportunity. For sure. I mean, we've seen how many former first rounders the Avs have tested out. Yep. And and given another opportunity. So sure, he probably will just on pedigree, but also the older you get, the less likely. Like Milosh moved on before his third year pro and had to get reprogrammed by the Sharks for two years before he became NHL viable. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm saying he got there, right? Like, yeah, and he also got cut loose <laughs> earlier. So it's, I, it is. It's just a shame. I don't know. I guess we hope we finally have a good camp and stick. If the Avs don't sign anybody, I guess that's the ultimate hope. I just he needs to be playing in the NHL this year. If it's the Avs, great. If it's somewhere else, it's bittersweet, but it's best for him in his career. I just don't think he can wait any longer. Like, it, it's got to be this year. Uh, certainly with the Evs, it's got to be this year. Um, next up, we go back to some younger players with Colby Ambrosio. I really like him. I know all you guys do really like him as well. Uh, pretty standard situation for a a decent NCAA prospect where he's heading into his junior year and you want to see a big year out of him to get his contract basically. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, You know, BC was a very flawed team last year. They have a good freshman class coming in because last year they basically, they lost the new hook line plus Spencer Knight replaced them with post-grads. It didn't work out at all. this year, I think if they have a younger and quicker team, and Ambrosio will definitely have a top six center role, um, you know that could work out really well for him. But regardless of how it works out at BC this year, I, I just I like his game so much, and I think it fits so well with how the Avs play. Um, that the, yeah, he's, he's just a good player to just transition into the Av system. Yeah, they love that energetic forechecking style. Yeah, I think he's already done enough to get signed because it, it's like if they don't sign guys like Steinberg and Ambrosio, like who are they going to sign? They're just going to have nothing coming into the system. So I think their talent level or what they've accomplished, their style of game, it's enough to at least see what they can do at pro. So I guess you would think because. Uh, it's Earl's theory, but it's true. After junior year is pretty much when, if you're interested in somebody, you need to sign them. And it probably would be time for him to move on. 
it's funny. I like him better when he's higher in the lineup, especially at center. And he's usually there because there's like injuries or other things going on. But it always just seems like he's been more effective there. And then when he goes into a little bit more of a role type situation, then he's not as noticeable. And you get kind of maybe a little bit more disappointed. But um, Well, usually he dropped down the lineup because they needed centers. And... I I understand with a younger player maybe wanting to have him learn the center craft in the third line rather than second. So I, it is I what it is. He is better at but center I, for sure. Like yeah, I, I like him in the middle a lot. Um, it, it's just funny because he's more of a shooter, but he's like a good center. It's uh, yeah. And sort of I, I don't know what it is like. He's a really good early in the game scorer too. He's a very good early attacker, and I just I love that mentality, and I'm, I'm sure the athlete too. So I guess it would be lovely if he got to stick at maybe second line center, especially as a junior. But I haven't looked into exactly who's going to be on that team and and everything. But... Yeah, I mean it's it could be either first or second line center, or it it could be one of those like where Newhook's the second line center that's really the first line. Um. <clears throat> but he, but yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely going to be counted on to provide a lot of offense for BC this year. But yeah, he's fun to watch, and and yeah, we we all like him. Yeah, so I was going to say he's fun to watch. The thing is, though, just at his size, is is does he enough skill level to be an NHLer? And that's what we'll find out over the next two or so years. Yeah, I think at least has as much skill as O'Connor. It. I mean, the good news about his size is, like, he plays bigger than he is. He's not Tyler Weiss. He's not afraid to just say, F it, I'm going to the net. Yeah, yeah. I've never he's really worried about 140 pounds soaking wet. He's, like, yeah. what, 175 or something, he's, I think? He's pretty stocky, actually. And he's he's a really good skater, and I think that does help make up for his lack of size. And he's not a perimeter guy, either. That's the main thing, too. Yeah, it was, it was funny. I felt like at the development camp four and four, he's trying to pass more. I'm like, dude, just shoot it. Like, quit trying to make all these pretty plays. Just do what you do. But I know nobody really wants to like drive the net at the Avs practice facility. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe we're not quite in the mood for all that, and that's fine. But I was just like, you're a shooter. Go for it, dude. <laughs> but yeah, I I do think the skating and his penchant to be a little bit of a nuisance will definitely go a long way for him. Um, next up, we have the uh, the grand experiment in the Avs prospect system uh, in John Luke Foodie. Oh, Foodie's fun. <laughs> um, and I did write about him, which will probably be up when the podcast is released. That's another one you could go to mile high hockey and see my take on foodie but yeah he's just such an interesting player and obviously with his path playing in the AHL 18 and then 19 and um I feel like his first year he definitely was that like total ball of fun just creative crazy stuff that would work out and I do think that he had to try to start rounding out his game a little bit more. Last year, he did focus more on defense. And so he had a quieter first half, but 
it all kind of clicked. And then he got put on that second line with Megna and Kaut. And it was a good second line that actually sort of stuck together for a while. And then he had a really good playoffs where he won two games in overtime. And um, he was like their best player. And I thought it was cool that they Davs kept him as a black ace. Like they would have never played him, but I think it was a little bit of a reward because he was other than Cow, he was the only prospect they kept. So I think that says something, but um, like I would love for him to just get called up this coming season. I know he's not ready to be an NHL player, but you just hope that the progress he's made is going to get rewarded a little bit as somebody they take a little bit more seriously. But, um, but yeah, he's fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this coming season is basically what should be his rookie season in pros. So. I mean, basically, the last two years have been bonus time for him, and it's just it's been preparing him, you know, for what should be his rookie season to be able to to stand out more than maybe he would have if he had stayed in the OHL for two years. Um, there's just so much to like about his game. I mean, he's a fairly unique player, um, not just for the Avs, just anywhere. Um, you know, the, the big thing when you're looking at prospects, you're looking at, like, what what role could this dude fill on the avalanche eventually? Um, and I think Foodie could – I think he could be a different kind of Burakovsky. I think he's got the skill to carry the puck and, and do zone entries the way he did. I, I think he, he's definitely shooting more than he did when he first came into the league, which is expected, but – you know, now I think he can do both, but I think he really does look to set up more. Oh, um, he always has. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, when he did start scoring goals, you're like, oh, wow, well, we can do that too. Um, you know, he doesn't have the shot of Burakovsky, but... Um, yeah, he doesn't have the shot of Logan O'Connor. <laughs> no. And that's fine. Because um, I, I think the Avs do value the kind of player that can transition the puck well and then sort of hand it off in the offensive zone. Um, they just don't have anybody that has like the creativity and, and maybe some other systems it wouldn't be as unique, but in the Avs system, like they, they're like, they're looking at a lot of these guys as role players and, and other, other things they do well, but He's really someone that stands out with that creativity, the vision, the playmaking. And you just really hope that that's something they see as having value at the NHL level. Right. I mean, it's like as far as playmakers go, like Miko is, I mean, he's one of the most underrated passers in the league, I think. And I think Foodie has a little bit of that. Um, it remains to be seen, like, you know, down the road, what that looks like in the NHL, hopefully. But, you know, I, I think he could really be a playmaker, which is something they, they really don't have outside of Nico. Yeah, I mean, I think it's extremely interesting with him specifically because of his skating. Because you're looking a couple of years down the line and, and a guy who could play on your third line or maybe middle six and you go, okay, this is a guy who can distribute, but also a guy who can actually keep up with the way that the abs want to play. Yeah, the only thing with him that's annoying is they have given him zero PK time, and he's going to be a role player. He doesn't really have true top six skill. So this upcoming year, you'd like to see him on the PK a bit, especially with his speed. 
I this coming yeah, I'd year, love I mean, to, but I just don't see it with this organization. <laughs> well, I, I mean, logically, it, is it makes sense, but yeah, he'll be twenty-year-old, technically first-year pro, first-year as you'll see. But so I'm not saying like this is it. This is his last shot, like a lot of these other guys. But I don't think they should just write off what he's done. Like he's played a hundred games. He's actually stayed healthy miraculously out of every prospect they have he's the guy that stayed healthy like i would like to just see a path just see it like he doesn't have to be at the end of it but you got to start forming him into somebody that they're going to take serious as nhl potential and you know benner didn't really like him in camp last year i'd really like to see him get taken seriously in camp this year like several preseason games like really thinking of him as like what is this guy going to be to us in the nhl so i hope that they just don't say hey we we get another five-year you'll see out of this guy yay like actually think about all right we're ahead of the curt we're ahead of the game what's the next step so here's the thing about foodie is i'm not a hundred percent sure he needs to pk JT yeah. Comfer's contract is up at the end of this year, and it seems like it'd be real easy to drop Foodie in on your PP2 as a distributor and just let him do his thing. I would love I mean, it if they thought that way, but if they don't bring Comfer back, like, they would just sign somebody. I mean, the Comfer got in there by <laughs> getting himself promoted, so... Yeah, I mean, Burkowski played like five minutes total PK in his total time with the Avs. So, um, right, you, know, so you, you don't have to you don't have to do that to have a good role on the team. Um, it helps though. And I yeah, know, I like, mean, everything helps. I'm just saying that if that's something, you know, that that they just look at him and they're just like, we're good with the PK, and they could try him at it, and he could be wonderful. I mean, we just don't know. So. Yeah, I mean, would love to see him there, but I'm just looking at the abs. You're saying, okay, Confer could be gone a couple years out. Taves is probably gone, so there could be some openings on that second power play unit. Yeah. And I would like to see, like, definitely consistent power play time in the AHL. Like, he has played on the power play for sure, but that second unit gets moved around a lot, and, like, if they want some of these guys like him and Sampo, Cow, God forbid, if he's still there, like all these guys need production. And to get production, you need consistent power play minutes. Yeah, I mean, I really don't know what Foodie could have done more this year to earn more opportunity. Like, had a solid regular season and then was masterful in the, in the playoffs for them. So if that doesn't get you more opportunity, I don't know what does. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, all right, last guy in tier number three is the goaltender, Eustace Annanen. Um, You know, had a very goaltender-y season up and down at times. Nothing too unusual, especially for a prospect still adjusting to North America. But where he really stood out was lights out in the playoffs. Yeah, like we already did talk about goaltending a lot, so we don't rehash a lot of that. But for him specifically... Um, it, it was nice to see that they're very committed to giving him minutes. Like he played a ton. It just was a little concerning about the last month of the regular season. Miska really had taken his job and 
he did have some inconsistent stretches, which you expect out of young guys. The interesting thing is he seems to have like up chunks and then down chunks. It's not so much game to game. So I, I think they really need to work on like when he's in a funk to get him out of it quicker. And that really hurt him when they just basically turned to Miska for a month. But when they started the playoffs, he was the guy that, which again, really shows their commitment to him that it wasn't like, well, Hey buddy, you lost your job and you know how important it is winning in the HL playoffs to this organization. So, um, that they gave the reins back to him and he was good. He rewarded them. Uh, he played really well. So, um, you just, I guess, expect the same thing in the coming year that he's going to play a lot again. Even if Jojo's down there for a stretch, you still think Ananen's going to play more like two thirds rather than a split. And, um, just hope to find a little bit more consistency. And if he has to get in a few games, that'd be okay. But, um, you really want him set up for being able to play, as a third goaltender next year. Like that should really be the goal is getting him ready to be that guy. And um, so it was a good season, like I said, inconsistent, but I think you're overall happy with what he did his first year in North America. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you kind of wonder if he was sort of hitting the wall uh, when they would turn to Miska in the last month of the season and they wanted, they wanted Ananin ready for the playoffs. So that's kind of what they went with. Um, you know, you, you just don't know, but I mean, he really was good in the playoffs. Um, and I think that's something that I think that's very important to the ads to see. I mean, I, I think seeing a guy taking uh, big games and, and playing well in them is what they really want to get out of an AHL experience, other than obviously it was his first year and learning the, the angles and everything like that. Um, I really think this year is 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 probably going to be, you know, a carbon copy of of last year. Um, I, I mean, the key this year is he needs to make JoJo obsolete, right? He needs to secure for himself that he is the number three in the organization. Right. I just yeah. I don't see I don't see him getting a lot of NHL time. I don't either, but he yeah. should be the so guy if someone gets injured. Consistency is the main thing for me with him because he's always been inconsistent. And, like, I'm not sure if it's endurance or just head games or what, but that'll be the main thing this year. Put a string of games together consistently of being good. Yeah, I mean, that did, I, I think that's going to be the big difference. It'll show, you know, the maturity as well as being comfortable on the smaller eyes. The same for the Al's front office. Like, okay, if he puts con- together like ten good games consistently, like doesn't have to be shutouts, but okay, we can trust this guy if we need him, kind of thing. Yep. Um, all right. So let's move into the top three prospects in the second tier. For the record, I did not put any Avs prospects in the top tier of the pyramid. They don't really have a highly touted uh, that level of player where their ceiling is really truly like elite level player so i kept that tier empty i have their highest prospect in the second tier uh three guys in here the first one i want to talk about is oscar olausen the first round pick left in the organization uh i know plenty of people have him ranked number one i don't 
but still very, very important prospect for the Avs. Uh, look, as a whole this year, I think he had a good, not great D plus one. And a lot of that came down to the really nonsensical trade to Oshawa, which I don't know why they did that, but it happened. Yeah, I. it makes even less sense because it's just so important for these guys when they come over just to be comfortable. And I don't ever really feel like any North American player that got traded in junior, it really benefited them. I honestly, the only guy I think was Josh Anderson that it benefited him. And Bokash getting out of Gatineau. Holy cow. <laughs> oh, that too. Oh my God. I, I could probably write like a 2000 word article about Malosh hmm. and Gatineau. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That one was very good. And Bokash did do very well when he went to Victoriaville and they won the Q championship. So I guess I shouldn't say never. There were a couple times where um, it was better for them. But as a whole, like all of our prospects that ever got traded, it just, they just never found their groove again. Like they just weren't comfortable. And and I'm talking about North Americans. So him as a European that came over, he needed to get comfortable with the culture and the language. Yeah, it was weird that the abs let that happen and maybe there was something behind the scenes from what i've heard he really did like his billets so it wasn't them maybe it was the coach i don't know but it did kind of halt his momentum it, and for- it, it just didn't make sense for oshawa like he he was in a good spot and initially he was one of the two players that actually could do anything on that team but he went to oshawa where they didn't want to use him in the top six and it's not like oshawa was a contender they were like squeaking into the playoffs so it was just weird yeah i think they had a ton of second round picks so it didn't cost a whole lot to get him so they were just kind of like well if all it takes is a second we have a bunch why not like that's kind of why i heard they we're interested in the trade, but as far as just why it happened at all is it's still very weird. Um, and for the record, he is my number one. I think, um, you know, him and Barron's are very different. Obviously, different position, different strengths and weaknesses. Um, I think they have about the same likelihood of working out. I just think. Alawson's closer. He he is going to play pro. He did play in the HL and had some decent moments. He had two assists in four games. I know he played some on the top line, some on the fourth line. Um, and I think they will give him a decent chance. Like he is definitely an important prospect in the organization. And with Barron's not being pro, it's like he's definitely going to get all the attention. I think Wilsey basically like lived with him. It, when he was playing in the OHL, like he was there constantly. So they are working with him. And so that gives me a little bit of hope too. And also he has had decent flashes in like preseason and he scored on NHL goalies, uh, played well with NHL players. So I just think, I wouldn't necessarily say it's proven, but I think you can see it. You can just see how he's going to fit in like a Burakovsky type. If, they could just make it work. So for me, he's he's my number one, just because I think it's a little bit closer to it actually happening. Yeah, I think this. I, I think the whole season was dumb for him. 
Um, it was. I, I think we've talked about this, that, you know, it, the best possible scenario would have been if he had a good situation in Sweden, he could have stayed there. Um, you know, coming to the OHL, not as good and getting traded midseason, definitely not as good. Um, so it, it, it's kind of a throwaway year. And, and you know, we'll, we'll see how that affects him. I think he did have a good camp eventually last year. Uh, I think it started out a little slow, but I think by the end, he really did show some stuff. Um, well, and, and that, it, and that was, you know, it was pretty impressive for how young. Yeah. And, and like, it, despite the OHL weirdness, there were flashes, right? Like even in, even with the Jennies, he had two hat tricks and, yeah. and then the obviously it just happened a couple weeks ago now, but had a very, very solid WJCs for Sweden too. Yeah. Right. I liked his, I'm just saying like this too. year, I, I'm not sure what this year did for him as far as preparing him to be a pro player. No, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think it did a whole lot to make him a pro player, but I no. think it probably did a lot for him to get used to the North American ice. Yeah, I, yeah I'll like give there, you that. There wasn't a great option, right? Like, yeah, maybe staying in Sweden, but then he—he's somebody that really did need to get familiar, learn the language, get comfortable. Like the HL, he could have played there. But it would have been a lot of the same that we run into. You're just bringing these guys over too early. Yeah, he's also a very early clock. player. Did he really yeah. need to get the clock started? And it so it, it would have been a booty of... situation where you're just you know he's there yeah. because there's no other option, and it, you just don't want to really use him that much. Um, but so yeah, he just kind of had to get through the season because from a game standpoint, I think he needs to learn pro habits and and pro structure and things like that and he's only going to get that in the hl so you know i actually felt a lot better about those things at world juniors i was not confident yeah. in him at the end of the ohl season but he looked pretty decent at world juniors i did like his world juniors too like he was good on the four check like he kind of yeah. has a soft reputation and and maybe defensively he's not he still needs to find the intensity but he's good on the four check and stripping pucks and winning battles and driving to the net. Just that Sweden team was so depressing. <laughs> well, it's just one of the things we've seen with him in the past and, um, you know, hope to see going forward is, is his puck moving abilities. He's Burkowski-esque you know, traveling through the neutral zone and setting up it's, everybody in it's, the offensive zone. And that's, it's that's so, what we so really easy. need to see. <laughs> so easy to project him as Burakovsky, man. It's so easy right. to do. I know. He looks just <laughs> very similar. Very, very, very similar. Yeah. I think someone said it after we drafted him. Yeah. Was it you? Is that you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does, so, though, especially when he, he's carrying the puck like that. And, and so he's like, the absolute forward, then, huh? That would be crazy. <laughs> but like we always talks about shots on goal. He had like double the most shots on goal for forwards at the WJC for Sweden. Like he had it in the twenties, and I think the next closest forward light was like twelve. They basically turned their entire offense into setting up. I think it, his name's Andre Emil Andre. Yeah, Andre. He was the only yeah. guy that had I... the points. I hated him in his draft year. 
Yeah, he's a Philly pick. I'm pretty sure. So he's like it, it was five eight, <laughs> and it wasn't even setting up Edmondson. You know the the top ten pick or whatever that Button like went on and on about the first two games, and then he just stopped doing anything because everybody was just setting up Emil Andre for some reason. But I could go on and on about that team. So considering what he had to work for, I agree. Oscar had a solid showing, makes you feel good about what he can do in camp and all that. The one thing where the soft reputation comes from is he needs to be stronger on the puck. Like, I agree. I think his forecheck is good. But when he's carrying the puck, especially when he tries to carry it to the hard places, it's just a little bit too cute. He, He tries to do all this puck dangling handle and stuff. So you just want to see him go through people because he's huge. He's a gigantic human being. Also consistently. Some games he just won't give a shit, and then other games, like at the World of Juniors, he always cared. So in the HL this year, that'll be a thing. Bring his 100% effort every shift. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely going to want to see the hustle. (laughs) There's two left. This one, Earl made the joke about the Avs 11th forward, but he probably is. So I don't... It's weird to even really call him a prospect in Ben Myers. Um the Avs got him as a college free agent, and it was very apparent they were they immediately threw him in the NHL. He's gonna be in the NHL. It is what it is, and we're gonna see what it looks like this year. Yeah, it depends on your definition. Like I know on my list on BR, he wasn't on it because I did make the age cut off a little bit stricter. Um, but yeah, he's not established yet. I think there's a non-zero chance that he gets booted to the AHL to start the season, but it probably would be like a new hook thing where it's like 10 games and then like, okay, you can come back. But Where they give Oscar 10 games? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's scary to think who the, the reciprocal <laughs> part of that would be. But he probably is plan A and it probably would take a poor camp to, to really boot him. Um, I liked his five games. Obviously, he scored in the first one, didn't really score after that. I know he had a good world championships, too. Um, He got better as it went along, so it probably was something where five games probably wasn't really enough time for him to get comfortable. It's tough walking in right at the end of the year. You don't know the system, nothing. So they'll work with him. I think he'll be good enough to make the team and... um, I'm hoping for better than a fourth liner. Like you really do, especially being given this opportunity. And I don't expect him to be like the next comfort or anything in usage, but you know, a useful NHL player would be nice. Yeah. I mean, I think his game sets up to be perfect for the abs bottom six. Um, You know, he he just right away. You could tell he fit with the style. Well, um, and, and he got it. Uh, even though he didn't, you know, it was obvious that the coverage, you know, he was missing coverages and things like that. So, I mean, the, the details weren't there. But as far as a player that has the attitude and the attributes that you need to play in the app system, you can tell it was there. So, um, yeah. but I think he's going to fit really well. And when he has a full camp of X's and O's on the um, meetings and things like that, I, I think he's going to be much more prepared than we saw at the end of the season. Yeah, I, 
you know, realistically, I think if it if he hits, he's a slightly better version of Logan O'Connor. Obviously, he can play center, um, but I, I think the offensive skill is just a touch lacking. Like, not that he'll not be able to produce at the NHL level, but even like comfort level of production is something you'd be like over the moon about. Yeah, I mean that would be amazing. I think in like the I mean, world I rag on comfort, but I mean he does produce. Yeah. <laughs> I think in the world championships he was good around the net. I think maybe he brings a little hand skill there, but yeah, it is something we're gonna have to watch for, which will determine his ultimate ceiling. Yeah, but you know he's a guy that'll come in. It will PK for them at some point. We'll see how quickly they actually want to work him in on that, but he will do it. Um, and yeah, it's it's an interesting one just because of how ready they were to give him the opportunity. So hopefully he takes advantage of it. Hey, you have to get that 25K bonus. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was so obvious, too. It was like. Gee, I wonder how many games he's going to play for the Avs. Oh, I bet it's five. That's You know some dude in the Avs front office was like, all right, but what if he gets hurt? And that's what <laughs> led to that, that 25K. I'll, ne- <laughs> I'll never forget when they did it to Clayton Keller when he just signed out of college and then they played him four games. And it wasn't because he got hurt. Yep. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a cheap organization for you right there. At least the Avs fulfill their promise. <laughs> Um, okay. The top of my list, and, you know, I, I think everyone would at very least agree he's in your top three at this point, uh, is Sean Barron's. Obviously had the yes. unbelievable year as a freshman at DU, won the national championship, was an insanely important defenseman as a freshman. So, yeah, good things there. Yeah, and um, I remember uh, going into last year, who's closer to eight, nine. And of course we graduated a few guys, lost a few guys, but he really did jump up to be considered in that like top tier. Um, I just maybe see the path is taking a little bit longer than maybe some more aggressive predictions. I think he will probably have to play like a full year in the AHL and we know how that goes. It's uh it's something you got to get through to really be able to see. Survive what, it. Yeah. <laughs> what they want to do with him in, at the NHL level. Because um, he does still have a few things to overcome. He's not the largest guy. He's not the greatest skater. Even though his skating does not bother me. But um, for someone his size, you know, he's definitely not Sam Gerrard kind of skater. Um you like what he does offensively. You can tell he watches guys like Makar and, and picks up little tips and tricks and he can execute it. So he can look good making those kind of plays. And and it was cool to see him get such a big role as a freshman on a team that won the national championship. And then, um, you know, his world juniors wasn't great. It's no, because I mean, Team they USA didn't fucked him. him. <laughs> yeah, like, and yeah. then he got injured, and then you weren't really sure if, like, could he have played, or were they just kind of like, well, after that, we're just not going there. And I mean, Team USA got what they deserved, so it's fine. Yes, but I also mm-hmm. feel like a, their whole team was almost like a, 
O2s, which are all guys that can't play this fall or this winter, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, they had um, five O2 defensemen. So, so yeah, you could kind of see that they were thinking of they're going to need somebody there that has experience at the World Juniors. So, it won't be look, him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was we go like a period. The other guys. <laughs> I can teach you guys how to get COVID and how to get hurt. Yeah. yeah. But at least he experienced the thing. And and you could also tell because he was like doing stuff like second unit power play PK. So they wanted to him in those roles and be comfortable with it. So I do think he's gonna have a fairly big role in the next one. We'll see. But so I did understand like why his usage was like that as the seventh guy. It wasn't like they didn't like him. They were just kind of more getting him ready. But then he got hurt, and then we don't know how that would have ended. <laughs> and obviously his production at DU was nice as freshman year, but they were kind of a powerhouse, and they're losing a lot of the top talent. So it'll be interesting to see how much he produces this year. And he only had three goals, so it'd be nice to see him put the puck in the net a little more himself. Yeah, both yeah, definitely. Definitely true. I, I would not be surprised if the production is the same or a little bit less given what you just said but i did think it was important to note that how much trust he earned on that team such a For good sure. team as a freshman mm-hmm. yeah, he played decent like, out on pk even though he's not the greatest defensively at the moment yeah i think it was a lot like ellison his freshman year at bc i mean it's just you were very surprised at how much responsibility that a, a freshman was given on a team like that because when when Hellison was a freshman, that was a good, that was a you know a, a very good BC team. Um, yep. um, so, so when you so see guys like that in your organization, you're like, you know that that's something that I don't know if they scout for that or if they know that's going to happen, but uh, that's definitely something that makes them happy. I think the next big question for him is just when do you sign him? Like, I think he probably could play pro after this year, but then it it's kind of like in this organization, is it really going to benefit anybody unless you're McCarr level talent? No, to, I mean, to sign after your sophomore year, like in his you... case, I think it might just because now that he has the pedigree, assuming he has a good sophomore year, if he comes into the AHL team. He's the guy. He's there. He's the one guy they care about there. Much like Justin Barron had while he was here this season. It's just, that was the only dude they cared about on their defense, and he got what he needed. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he's getting any taller. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I, yeah, I, it depends on role. If they're really ready to, you know, look at him as as somebody on a real short track to the NHL. If he's not, then I, I fear that he will become like, like a Bowers where it, it's like, well, you know, we have all this time and you're in the HL now and you're only 20. And then that's when a year turns into two turns into three. And you're like, what happened to this guy? Because, um, he still is a low <clears throat> second rounder. Like I pedigree does matter to them. It, it's sad, but it's kind of true. You can replace Gerard in two years when we trade him or lose Taze. <laughs> lose Taze, not more likely. I, I think it might come down to like what DU is going to look like his junior year. I mean, obviously they lost a lot of talent from last year, so this year will probably be a slightly down year. I mean, 
you know, it's not a great conference, though. Um, they still might do okay, but you know, if they look like they're an NCAA championship team in his junior year, then maybe it makes sense for him to stay there. Um, you know, I, I just I, I look I at his game and I I love watching it. I, I think the maturity in his game is something that that would translate to the NHL right away. Um, I, I think we discussed this before the show, but what he's really going to have to learn is how not to get hurt. And and this is something that Bo and Byron went through this year. Um, and you could see it just sort of, it was tentative at first, but Byron learned to just move a little bit at the last second so he doesn't get creamed. And I think that's going to be big in Barron's game because he's, he's already got a little bit of a reputation for getting hurt and he plays a very physical game. And I think if he tries to play that way in the NHL, he's going to just still lack. Um, so that's going to be a very important thing for him to learn once he turns pro is, is how to be durable, how not to take that big hit. Um, and if that's something he can pick up quickly, I think he's, you know, he, he's going to be ready for the NHL very quick. I hope so. I just think I, like I said, I think he would be ready for pro after this year, but if he just goes to that junior year, that's when, like they want you and they start promising you. I always wondered what would have happened if Bowers had gone back for his junior year, how different the commitment might've looked. Yeah. It's look, if you can predict the future that well, maybe you should be signing contracts for the abs. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh that's the entire abs prospect pool. Basically, we didn't include Maltsev. You could talk about him if you wanted, but really, he's a he's a full time pro at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I like I like I like him. I liked what he did, but it's true. He, you know, for everyone saying, "Oh, Cout never did anything in his six games." Well, Maltsev didn't do anything in eighteen. So zero points. You know, I, I am glad that he's back, and, and they did bring him to Tampa, which does show that they were willing to play him if worse come to worse. Uh, so maybe that's why he came back, because he does feel valued in the organization. I think he did have nice things to say about Sackick in his interview. I found a Russian interview from him. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see him get another chance. I just ultimately don't think it'll go that different. But I'd rather see him than a lot of other guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm I'm good there. Unless you guys have anything else you wanted to talk about. Um. Hopefully, just, we keep our first round pick this year. I personally think they well. will. I think they will. I think, especially because they're not good at, at getting much out of these mid rounders. You have to have something in your system. You have to have some talent. Even if they become like Baron and they're a trade chip. And this draft class is looking like the 15 draft. Like it's looking Yeah, it's looking insane. insane. And I, and they just I, don't trade first. The only first they traded was for Kemper because they got desperate. Like I know a lot of people think they're saving it for the deadline. They've never traded a first as a deadline. And they already won the cup. Why would they be even more aggressive? than what they usually are. Especially when they already have burned through all their 
tradable assets for the next two drafts. I think they're going to keep their first. Now, of course, you never know. Maybe a fantastic deal comes down. But I think their intention is to keep them. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think if you look at their strategy, I mean, like, I, I, we can say, like, they're not getting much out of the mid-rounds. But if you look at how the team's built, they've developed elite talent by drafting. And that's about the only way you can get it. I mean, for every other year, for a decade, you know, they picked up Landy, they picked up Mac, they picked up Miko, they picked up Makar, and then we think Byron will probably head into that group. And, you know, if that's all you get out of your drafts, you're doing pretty well, because most teams don't get them. You know, they end up with Barrett Hayden. Um, and, and it's true, it's not easy. Like dog. dark. <laughs> it isn't easy and and if they had top 10 picks i probably would be like yeah they'll probably pick someone good even though the guy that picked them all is gone but so uh, i i will say this i'm less confident that they hold on to their first than you guys but it's going to depend on how comfortable they are with whoever they have at two c i think it's that and also like if people think this draft is all that more then maybe where they think the abs are going to pick, which will probably be very high, um, might be overvalued. So, you know, that might help the abs. So they might consider that a, an asset. Um, but I do think it's important they, they do get a little talent, not not lettuce talent, like just real talent out of this next draft. Yeah, I mean, they can't just punt on the whole thing like they did this year right (laughs) (laughs) you can do that like once every 10 years you know (laughs) yeah yeah at least add the first it's fine they've spent the second thirds fourth i think they have one 2024 fourth left i guess they want to make their token purchase at the deadline but yeah keep the firsts unless some mind-blowing deal comes their way all right. Well, on that note, I guess we'll wrap this episode of 2A Up. Uh, appreciate all y'all coming out, listening, and all y'all here talking about it. So, uh, I don't do. Do you guys have anywhere you gonna you want to tell where your stuff is? TV. I know you still do stuff. Um. Yeah. The my high hockey. I do more with now, so you can check me out over there. And also, it's let's just say Overlord free now. <laughs> Safe space. Um, Burgundy reviews still does exist. Um, a little slower on the content, but there's always something of interest. I think so. Um, you can still check that out too. And as always, just thank you for listening. I know uh, this is a very niche podcast, but we enjoy doing it, and we enjoy uh, doing it for the listeners that that find it interesting. So thank you for sticking around. All right. Earl, Nathan, anything you guys want to shout out? And Burgundy radio will be starting up as rookie camp and whatnot begins. Um, so we'll have that, but, and definitely thank you to everyone listening. I especially like doing this podcast because it's, it's different from that. And I like talking with you guys about prospects and sort of that aspect of the game. And thank you, Rudo, for doing it, too. We know you have 
day job where you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're doing this all the time. So very much appreciate um, making the time on the weekend for this. Of Definitely. course. Anytime. Always down to talk prospects. If you want to find Rudo, you can find me mostly on the DNVR Sports YouTube channel. It's where all of my videos are, all that good stuff. Of course, on thednvr.com as well, the full website. If you want to support me, much appreciated. For this podcast, we're going to get out of here. We appreciate y'all, like TV already said. And yeah, who knows when the next one will be, but you know, we'll, we'll post it when we post it. So we'll talk to you then.